All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you to everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd firstly like to thank our sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Box Racing, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, ASU Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and even Strokes for all their incredible support. As without name, none of this would be possible. All right, for this episode, we've got another belter in store. We're joined by Jason Thomas of Fly Racing and pretty much everything, uh, motocross, and then the boss man, James Burnfield. How are we, lads? Yeah, good to be here, Ed. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm in, uh, I'm coming to you from Southern California, where we are kicking off Pro Motocross Championship this weekend, and uh, it is absolutely beautiful here. So I hope both of you are jealous. Yeah, well, I'm not too bad in Australia here. It's sort of not quite winter yet, so I'm on the coast. We're still getting sort of 22 degrees sunny all day. Oh, so yeah. You don't even gonna... know what bad weather is in Australia. Yeah, especially where I am, it's uh, it's a it's a really good spot here on, on the coast. Yeah. That's for sure. Not not down south, so it's yeah, it's it's good, mate. But are you excited? Did you have a good weekend off? Sort of JT would have been a rare one. Did you did you enjoy it? Relax, get out the yeah. Weather? It was uh, it was it was honestly great. Um, you you know, if you don't travel for a living, you don't really appreciate um little things like being home on a weekend. And I get a lot of. It's funny because you get, you know, what we call FOMO, right? It's fear of missing out. Well, I'm, I'm at these incredible events all over the world, and everybody I think that's a fan of motocross or supercross or MXGP, what have you, would be very jealous. And they should be of the things I get to do. But there are things that go on at home, simply just, you know, friends of mine going to, like, brunch or going to the lake, going to dinner, that I, yeah, I don't get to really do a lot of that. You know, because when I'm home, everybody's doing their things during the week. And on the weekend, I'm gone pretty much all year. So, when I'm home and get to hang out with my friends and do just really regular things, uh, it's amazing how much you value those when you don't get to do them. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It would have been a good a good rare one, and then you're back into the grind. Are you, how's the excitement levels for motocross? Obviously, it's looking like an especially good 250 class, and the, the 450s will, will be what it is, but it'll still be excellent racing, that's for sure, and being an Aussie. Yeah, 250s about... should be amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, two fifties are amazing. You've got two two championship contenders that are Aussies, which will be incredible. And there's endless storylines to to talk about there. Um, and I think it's just really two very different series, though. The two fifty class is wide open. I feel you know, okay, we always have the best laid plans, and then someone comes in and dominates. Can't really control that, but it, it really does look pretty open on paper. It could be Justin Cooper, it could be Hunter, it could be Shimoda, it could be. Someone we're not necessarily thinking about, which will be great. We have we'll have some parity, uh, but in the 450 class, I mean, if it's not Jet Chase or maybe Dylan Ferrandez, then I should probably step away from the sport because I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to be a heavyweight title fight for the ages. I'm hoping uh, it's set up for that, but uh, it's it's like a. a group of a few in the 450 and then it seems pretty wide open in the 250 so uh we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out we always think we know exactly what's going to happen going into the opener and then uh fate and racing dictate otherwise it seems on the back side of it yeah there's definitely a lot of buzz around it and uh james how are you mate how was the weekend in france and are you excited for pro motocross as well mate yeah for me um uh jt's just had a weekend off which is which is really cool and i'm i've got a weekend off this weekend so um i'm actually looking forward to having a week out off and actually watching uh the us race and so that's going to be good france was was phenomenal um so many stories um so many uh you know just interesting track uh situations which happened over the weekend 
um a few chuckles from the uh the actual uh, uh people not being able to walk across the track on the saturday to um you know dust forming in, in another part of the track it was it was uh just beautiful chaos i'd like to to call it the the obviously the title's been sort of turned o- over on its little sort of head but um and and also um uh, jt my travel um nightmares continue because on the friday night <laughs> these are all um, self-induced though you you do these to yourself most of the time is what i'm finding out yeah no, this one's way out my hands. So this one is all the way down to hotels.com. They double booked um, the hotel. Uh, so I got yeah. there, asked for two rooms. Well, we booked two rooms, gave them confirmation. And they said, yeah, hotels.com do this all the time. I was like, that's not helpful um, yep. because they only had one room and not two. And I snore really bad. So <laughs> Jeremy, who's with me, is just like, there's no, no freaking way um i'm gonna be in a room with you i'd rather die um basically so we had to go and find another hotel in switzerland and you know how cheap switzerland oh. is um oh yeah that's your 400 euro- yeah yeah 400 euros later for one night um wow. and and we're there yeah didn't even get a coffee machine so just want to put wow. that one out there bitterly bitterly disappointed not even my fault yeah that one, that one's not your fault. I had a similar thing happen to me in Nashville this year, um, so I can I can definitely relate a little bit. But I was really hoping that you screwed the pooch again. Um, those are my favorite stories where where you have you bungle travel, miss flights, and do these things. That those those bring me a lot of joy. Yeah, they, they bring a lot of people joy. Apart from myself, where I'm just crying <laughs> to the uh, to the girl behind the desk who's trying to feel sorry for me. So um, yeah. I'm sure there's going to be a few more coming up because we got uh, well, we got Latvia and then we got Germany next. Then I've got a six week break because we're going to miss Indonesia. So first year in I don't know, quite a few years actually, six or seven years that we're we're not going to Indonesia. So um, yeah, so that's going to be a bit weird. And I said to the riders, "Are you going to miss me?" And they said, "No, I'll be in Bali, living my best life." So there we go. As long as they're not stuck on the toilet, that's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, not stuck on the toilet and, uh, yeah, not being sick. So that'd be good. Yeah, mate. And yeah, obviously, we'll just talk about the track. Um, sort of a lot of comments, a lot of very much a hot topic of debate following that GP. Um, obviously, JT and I were saying it came up really well on the television, especially the racing on the Sunday. But, uh, yeah, the Saturday was brutal. We we saw so many injuries on that day and, and over the weekend and big crashes. You know, Iago was the, the big one and then, Guadagnini's got the broken arm. Ferrato had a big one. Van der Ven, obviously the women's world champions, had a, she's going to be out for ages too. Paul's Jonas just when he came back. So your take on it from live on the scene, mate? Yeah, it was utter carnage on the Saturday. There, It was like um, Band of Brothers scene where people, they, I reckon there was a sniper in the tree <laughs> what was just taking out riders willy-nilly. So, um, yeah, on the screen, the track looked amazing. But what happened is uh, certain parts of the track, they watered uh, quite a lot. And what happened then, it just produced these like uh, pockets of soft um, soil. So as the the hills started to sort of, you know, break in bumps, there was just massive holes. And when the riders were coming down, I mean, Gertz was probably coming down five miles an hour quicker than everybody else down down the hill. But, uh, you know, Sasha Conan, um, you know, Ferrato, um, there, there was just so many, like, like you mentioned, in, in Guadagini was really one of the unfortunate ones. Um, that's a, a horrific injury. So um yeah, there's is and it just didn't stop there. There was there was a quite quite a few sort of other injuries throughout the, throughout Saturday. So it's just such a shame because 
from my point of view, um, you're trying to protect those riders because they are part of the show. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's going to be some interesting questions raised from um, the GP just because the amount of people it did take out. So, um, but yeah, again, like I've watched it back and it's just like, it looks amazing. Like it, it's one of those tracks where you, you kind of watch it on TV and you're like, yeah, I can ride that. And then uh, you get there and you see these like baseball sized rocks, what were just hitting the riders and just smashing peaks in front number plates for fun. So um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I, but I liked it because it was proper old school, like mm. a real old school um, track. The club ran a really good, you know, the, the, they'd done a lot of work on the track. You You couldn't, you couldn't fault it from that point. I just think that they just kind of went a little bit crazy with the water, well, which we've seen. Yeah, so overall, a pretty successful sort of weekend in terms of returning Villas to the to the calendar after I think six years. So just just a couple of things to iron out. And JT for for a racer, how's the mindset in that, in those sort of challenging conditions? Obviously, it's a real fine line between wanting to go fast and keeping smooth and balanced and not going over the edge. So your thoughts on the track, and then how how would you approach something like that? Yeah, it's tough. I think uh, I give the MXGP riders a lot of credit because I can tell you if we had conditions like that in the USA, there would be a riot. Uh, not literally a riot, but there would be a lot of unrest. People would be very vocal uh, and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't go over very well. Um, so it, I think most of the American contingent, when they watch MXGP races in general, are always surprised at how challenging the conditions are. But I think they have done a very good job of uh, improving bike skill. And when the conditions are at their most tough, I don't think the American riders really have much of a chance against the MXGP riders just because they've been through so many challenges like this. Uh, American tracks are very similar. Traction is very good. They're manicured and groomed um, and they're well looked after where, you know, it, it has gotten better. But for years, I mean, MXGP, they wouldn't touch it the entire weekend, you know, and and there's good and bad to come from that. Uh, the risk certainly goes up, but the development of skill also goes up. So it's, there's a fine line there. There's a balance. Um, and I can tell you from the rider perspective, it's not a lot of fun when you are worried about conditions the entire time. Uh, the, the focus shifts a little bit uh, because most weekends you go into like, man, I, I need to perform. There's a lot of pressure. This is what you've been working for literally your entire life is to perform on these particular race weekends. And there's so much emphasis put onto them, but sometimes you're more worried about the, you know, what can happen. The track is so treacherous and there are so many situations you can find yourself in that can end your season. You almost have to, respect the track a little bit more and, and worry about the track more than the race. Um, so it was, it's unfortunate to see all of the crashes this weekend. Uh, but it, it's interesting to hear the comments because, you know, I told you guys a little bit before the show, when I watched the first MX2 uh, race one, I, I was blown away at how fun the track looked. Traction was at a premium. It, you know, they had worked the entire track over. It looked really, really fun. Uh, but from there, you could see it start to deteriorate traction started to go away, but the ruts that had formed really hardened up and would catch you out. And there were, there were not forgiving at all. Um, that, that's not to mention Saturday. Saturday was a, a whole different ball game altogether. Um, but Sunday, you know, the, the racing, it, it started um, like it looked really great. And then it just kind of went downhill from there. So I know they are tight on time schedule, uh, which is one thing that if I was, 
one of the rider representatives or a team manager, I would have them looking very carefully at, at time management. How can we prevent something like this from getting away from us again? Um, because I don't think it was a lack of willingness to work on the track. It, it just sometimes you, if you schedule things too tightly in there, they, there's simply not enough time to get the tractors out there and fix things. But obviously the track was absolutely massive as well. It was like a two-minute lap time sort of, I guess, on average throughout the weekend. So, yeah, there's no time to fix things on a massive track like that and all those hills. So that must have thrown up some challenges too, I reckon, James. Yeah, when I've done the post-race uh, podcast on uh, Sunday night, uh, I would say a third of the riders um, kind of said to me on the down low, I'm just glad I've got out of this in one piece. Yes. Um, and the other third were kind of uh, basically saying there was, I did not enjoy that at one point. And uh, the other third I couldn't actually um, interview because they're all in hospital. Yeah. I will say though one one thing to add to this and I've had to mention this a few times in uh when speaking about AMA Supercross because there in 2022 they really went to task on building massive whoops in Supercross this was a a very um specific and targeted decision they wanted big nasty whoops to challenge everyone well there were big crashes to go along with those and riders were complaining and I understand why, but I, I've spoken with other, you know, legendary guys like Ricky Carmichael about this. Sometimes you just have to roll the throttle off. You know, you can't yeah. race the same, you know, you can't approach every racetrack or every condition the same way. Sometimes you have to be willing to slow down and say, okay, there's a, there's a limit here. And I'm sitting on it. And if I continue to sit on it or go over it, I'm going to end up on my head and I'm going to need medical attention. And that's that's part of being a professional racer, in my opinion, is knowing where the limit is. Um, and, and I would say, you know, not every situation is the same, but like for Yago there, you have to be very, very aware of where the risk is and is taking risk worth it on in a Saturday qualifier. Um, and I'm, not yeah. every situation is going to you know, be considered just like that. But there are times, and this could have been one of them, where sometimes you just have to let caution be the better part of hour. That that just has to happen sometimes, and you have to live to see another day. Um, I've had, I've been on tracks where I didn't feel safe at all, going back to my career, and I just had to do the best I could. It wasn't going to be my best day, but guess what? I was there to race the next weekend, and sometimes that's a big part of longevity is understanding the situation at hand. Yeah, that's very well said. Yeah. Obviously, you see guys like Tomac who manage situations well and, and Prado this weekend uh, knew he didn't have blistering speed, obviously still got the job done in the qualifying race. But yeah, manage weekends in a controlled and, and measured fashion and you just get out of there and go to the next one. So um, yeah, and also James, about the fans, obviously the French do it pretty different. They're all in. They love their, they love their riders, don't they? And they, they, got, they got some pretty good um, treats this weekend with Fevered. Benestant doing so well, and obviously it was cool seeing Patchero with the with the cool gear and the and the bike set up, and obviously Rubini, who you've got some news to share on him too, and obviously Pruniers and and guys like Valin winning, and he was doing good. And obviously I spoke to Mark Antoine Rossi, who's only seventeen, and he was just, you know, we talk about the track being so ridiculous, and he was second, first ever MX two weekend, second in time practice, fifth in qualifying, seventh overall in the races. Um, Pretty incredible effort, really. Only an AMX 125 last year and then stepped up to AMX 250 and now getting those kind of results in um, MX2. Just incredible talent. 
incredible effort. That, that VRT factory juniors team do a great job. And his teammate Zanke getting in the top 10. And obviously Coonan as well, another guy who's 16. So we've got three guys, 17 and under in the top 10 in MX2. Pretty impressive stuff, mate. So the fans obviously cheering for him and the other guys. And just, yeah, MX2, how, how impressive were those young guys? Yeah, first off, the crowd. If 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 anybody's out there, and and whether you're from America, Australia, or where wherever, you're thinking about what MXGP to go to, pick a French GP. It's uh, lots of chainsaws. Um, you might get the odd goat spray painted with the French flag, um, <laughs> but what you will get as well is is about fifty thousand crazy crazy fans, and they are so loud and so passionate. Um, literally I couldn't get to Benistan. There was that many people around him that it was like five deep. And that was just when I was trying to film him coming out of, uh, the, the, basically the, the team, uh, truck to get on his bike and go down to the, to, to pit lane. So even at that point he was mobbed and so was Fevra. Um, it, it, they're incredible. If you ever get a chance to go to an MXGP, pick a French one. Trust me, uh, you, you will not be disappointed. French well, fans are speak, insane. Speak to how motocross the nations will be being in France this year too. It's going to be absolute insanity. Yeah, I'm. I, I wouldn't be surprised, JT, if we're looking at sixty, seventy thousand plus um, this year I because agree. the GPs. I, I, I was just going to mention that you know France is coming off of uh, a bitter loss last year at the hands of Team USA they're going to turn out in force at their home motocross nations this year. It's going to be uh, something else. I, I've already, I've already kind of accepted defeat. I don't believe we're going to go into France and, and win this year. Um, but I, I'm, I'm more interested in what a spectacle it's going to be. Yeah. I um Yeah. I still, I, I could talk about MXON all day. I, I absolutely love it. I still think the U S of um, will, will be there and, and will do well, but um you know, you know, the French, I'm looking forward to Viao, hopefully, if he gets in a team. Um, if he, I know there's issues before with his uh, hat and stuff like that, so um, hopefully we get to see him back. Um, but, you know, the French team are going to be wanting to get back the, the nations. But, uh, yeah, 70,000 plus crowd easily, I think. It, just because the GPs now just seem to bring in so many people that with an MXON event, it's just like it's like double the enthusiasm. Um Mark Antoine, Mark Antoine um, Rossi, uh, he's been. I, I was really surprised the weekend about how well he rode and and how how mature his ride was as well. Um, looked super fast on the Saturday with you know really hard track, uh, coded it well, qualified well. Um, MX MX uh, race one, race two performances were really really good. His his lap times were fantastic. Um, really competitive in all sectors. There wasn't really many weaknesses. Definitely rode within his ability, wasn't trying anything too much and was easily in the top 10. So, you know, that kid's got a great future. But the problem is, is whenever you think about all these next up-and-coming um, MX2 riders, um, these guys now from from Latvia, Eastern Europe, they're on a 125 at 13 years old. Um, in in the the Rasulises and and the, these riders that are coming through is just unbelievable. So young getting on these big bikes. By the time they're getting onto a two fifty, they've been on a one two five for um, you know three three years minimum. So um, this next generation of kids which are coming through, which are Eastern European, Scandinavian, 
Spain's got a brilliant program at the moment. France have got a great program with their federations. This just next generation are coming through and they are, they've grown up on these really hard technical MXGP tracks. So it doesn't surprise me with, with Rossi coming in too much, given what, you know, he's done previously, but I think the weekend is a testament again to uh, Lucas Coonan uh, with how good he is. If you think he was 15 years old in December and he's, you know, we have to put this in perspective. He's 16 years old. That puts him in the same place as people like Hurlins, Roxon, um, you know, Musquin, you know, all these young riders which came through and dominated and were, you know, have gone on to do extraordinary things. And going out and winning that race put him, in my opinion, um, on on that same level at that age. What did you think, JT? Yeah, it's incredible. Um, you know, I, I think many here in, in the U.S. have been looking at, you know, not only the international programs, you know, specifically within country, but the EMX programs as something that we need to take that and and improve on, right? You've seen the futures programs here. You've seen uh the the coaching programs throughout the summer at, at pro motocross that have been implemented and i have no doubt that those were inspired from the success and the uh the preparation that the zmx programs are providing um so it's been fun to watch that and then watch the usa kind of respond uh just out of hey that's a great idea we need to be doing this as well but you can see the talent you see these riders come through these these smaller championships and you for me, I, I typically hear about them before I see them. I just, just don't get to go to enough MXGP rounds and, and my attention span gets spread too thin to be watching for everyone. Uh, but I'll hear rumors, this and that, whether it's on your show, you know, here at MX Vice or from my contacts in Europe. Um, at the, you know, we'll ha- we have different distribution channels for fly racing in Europe that we'll speak to and they'll have these uh, individual riders or helping teams, whatever. So you'll hear a rumor, you'll hear a name, and maybe it doesn't stick, but at some point you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that name before. And then you watch him ride, and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's that's why I heard about this kid. And it was no different for the Coonans. Now it's Mark Antoine Rossi. Like, and it's just these same kind of things over and over and over. And I remember when that was Jorge Prado, you know, like 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, uh, it's fun to watch talent develop at such a young age, and then they blossom into superstars. Yeah, do you do you think the 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 skill of say a sixteen year old in Europe and one in America? What what's the what's the contrast that you see? Obviously, being an expert in in watching racing and analyzing it and having done it, uh, how how well I guess rounded would you say the skill set is, or is it just the uh, the exposure to such savage conditions at a young age helps them puts them in good stead in in Europe more so? Yeah, it's, it's different because uh, let's take a rider like Hayden Deegan, right? He's He has so much momentum, and for good reason in America, there, he has all the, the full package from his presence to social media exposure to talent to his father's legendary career, like all these things he has going for him. But it's going to be very interesting to see how he does in pro motocross this weekend because he has spent so much time developing his skill set for supercross that was a big big focus and that's just something that's prevalent in europe a a 14 year old thinking about supercross just doesn't happen you know look at tom vial is just kind of finding his legs for supercross now after two world championships so there's a very different focus and a very different path that is being forged for 
AZMX championships that are wor- that are looking to be world champions versus these riders in Supercross. They have to think Supercross because that's where the teams and that's where the resources are being funneled to. It's not that promoter cross doesn't matter. It's just if you want to get a factory contract as a 16-year-old, you better know how to ride Supercross and ride it very, very well or you're going to have a problem. Yeah, definitely a, a matter of priorities. That's, that's a good point you make there. And just to, to talk to you again, James, about Kuhn, and obviously he was half a second quicker than anyone in the second race on his way to winning. And that, that in itself is just a really impressive statistic for someone that's in his first season and only 16. And obviously he's beaten his teammates and he's, he beat Benestant. And it's like, it's, it's quite incredible because he's had, he's had those glimpses so far in qualifying and the races. He's just, it feels like he rides so well through the pack or, and when he gets a good start, he has a tip over or a mistake or something. So he finally pieced it all together in that second moto. And you spoke to him afterwards, mate. And um, they're all in, aren't they? They're so focused, concentrated and driven on succeeding. So it'll be interesting to see how they go the rest of the year or him as well as his brother. And then on the way to Supercross in a couple of years. Yeah, I think... I think kind of it's, it's happened a lot sooner than I expected. Like we knew that he could do what he done like the weekend, but I thought maybe it'd be like more in the back end of the year. Um, the worrying thing for everybody else now is, is he's just realized what he needs to do to win. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a danger to everybody else now, because if, if, you know, you've got somebody who just enjoys riding. He, he he doesn't see it as a job. He doesn't see it as anything else. He just loves riding. Only been riding eight years, as we've mentioned previously. And um, the one thing which I noticed throughout the whole year, and I spoke to him about on, on Sunday, was he just doesn't tire. Like, where everybody else seems to get tired throughout the, uh, throughout the race, he just gets faster. So that's the other thing which goes for him. And he's so used to coming through and still passing people on the last lap um, that when he did get the lead, he stretched out so quick. I think within about sort of three or four laps, he had a six second lead um, and just he didn't drop that intensity. And um, and he's quite tall. He's quite long as well. So he's able to where I think he's able to adjust his is is you know, his body and, and, and changes techniques slightly that um, he, he could make more mistakes or he, he mistakes don't get capitalized on because he stops them with the way that how tall he is and in uh, how quick in uh, reactive he is to try and sort of pull in it back. Because there was one situation which was a little bit squirrely where he hit this just before the step up. Um, he hit it so fast and he was, there was a step up into pit lane and seriously, he was launching it. it like no one was even, um, you know, doing what he was doing and, and he was just launching so far. He was landing sort of in the first part of, um, it pit lane and, and he didn't stop that so even two laps before the end with a six second lead, he was still launching it. But the lap before li- he literally caught the, caught uh, a kicker in a nearly threw him over and uh, the other side of the track in, in this, in, I think earlier on in the session, uh, Bobby Bruce uh, hit the same kicker and literally near enough knocked himself out and went through the, the advertising boards. But yeah, he, he he's, I, I can kind of like see now why, why people have been like industry people behind the scenes have watched him come up through 85 and stuff and have been quite excited because if he was on at 85 and doing those things sort of, um, three years ago then crikey yeah and, and only riding for about sort of three four years in in winning stuff on an 85 
massive future. Um, JT is going to be seeing him quite soon because um, you, you know that pathway is 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 getting. I think two years he's going to be over there. I think that the plan is, like we said previously, is going to be just doing uh, practicing first outdoors motocross and then supercross in in year two. So JT is yeah, going to be on your shore soon. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. Um, you watch him ride and. It, the talent is so obvious, right? Um, you, you hate to make it such an obvious comparison to someone like Jet or, you know, whether it's Lucas or, or Sasha or whatever, compared to Jet and Hunter. It's so obvious, yeah. but I think Jet makes more sense because of the youth side of it, right? And and I've mentioned this before, but I was at Otobiano in 2018 when Jet won his first DMX photo. And I didn't know much about him, but I was watching him ride and he's beating – legitimate like 25 28 year old professional riders um that you know you're like okay this is no joke you you don't just go beat riders like this um and this was when emx was a little bit more open and the, you know the, the ages weren't so young his talent was yeah. so obvious and it, it took time for him to really develop into the jet lawrence he is today but you can't hide it and that's what we're seeing with with Coonan, right okay yeah there's there are going to be crashes there are going to be issues along the way. There are going to be moments, you know, where he just does things that a 16-year-old is going to do. But when it clicks yeah. and you just walk away from the rest of the MX2 fields who are tried and they've gone through the wars already, I don't, you know, even if Yago was healthy in that moto, I don't think Yago would have done much with that, with that speed and that all-out, you know, blitz creep style he had there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you, you can <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you can see it coming, right? You you don't know when it's going to arrive. When does he put the whole package together? Is it next weekend or is it when he's 18? I don't know. But it, it's coming. Like, there's just no question about whether he is going to arrive or not. Yeah, it's well said. Yeah. Obviously, with Sasha, just to, just, to talk, just to sort of build on those points, obviously, Sasha is uh, sort of talking to people like Lorenzo and yourself, James, and he's he was sort of largely considered the more talented rider. Obviously, with his smaller stature, he obviously has a those those margin for errors are a bit, bit bit smaller. So he's been getting bitten by those nasty crashes, and he's got so much speed, and he's just a little dynamo. But just over the last you know couple of seasons, just piecing everything together and staying healthy, getting gate drops, that's been his his main issue. Just to, he's just not getting any momentum built up, even though he's an outrageous talent. So that's a lot of the stuff you hear as well, mate. That Sasha's um equally or even more talented than Lucas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think everybody was um, at the start of the year was all eyes on um, on Sasha, but obviously he had the injury, which um, has held him back a little bit. And and again, when you miss the, the rounds like he has, especially like when you talk to like Pauls and you talk to Mitch Evans, when you're coming in and those riders already have that intensity, um, it, whether it's pro motocross, supercross or, or MXGP, when they're riding at their peak and you're coming in off of often an injury, it's it's going to take time. And I think being young, I think um, possibly you're trying to push. And I guess if his brother's going quite well, he's kind of, uh, you know, he has that on his kind of shoulder as well. And thinking about that, I, I I think probably if if knowing his parents like they are, I bet his dad's put an arm around him and just said like, just chill out, just let's let's piece this together bit by bit by bit. Don't focus on on everybody else. I'm pretty sure that's the you know the, the the knowledge which is being shared with him and just trying to sort of keep his feet on the ground because he is when you look at the size of lucas and they're twins when you look at the size of lucas and look at sasha but i i guess at some point he's just going to 
you know, the growth spurt's going to hit and, you know, he's no longer going to be Little Ripper is what he's referred to. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think, yeah, like JT said, I hate to to like compare both, but it is very much Lawrence-esque. Um, just fun kids, enjoy riding. They're, they're so good with the media. Um, you know, I, I do the behind the scenes stuff with, um, for Fox rule cap in, uh, they're just always playing around and, and they kind of know when I'm there and know what to do in, in this is like six rounds in and they're like seven rounds in and they're just like, you know, so media savvy already. So, you know, when they, when they do hit America, they're, they're going to be, they're going to take it by storm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. How they switch to the game face on pretty quick, don't they? So That'll be really interesting. And um, we haven't even touched on MXGP yet, so we'll, we'll sort of recalibrate the focus to that. So um, obviously Jeremy Sewa getting the win. Um, definitely been needing that ride badly. Obviously um, heading into that that round, there'd been seven men on the podium, Prado, Hurlings, Renault, Fevre, Fernandez, Kolbenoff and Guadagnini. After what he did in the preseason, how, how good he looked and just what a generally excellent rider he is, you, you would have thought he would have been one of those seven. So it was an uncharacteristic start to the season. His overalls were 7, 6, 11, 11, 5, 6. Crashes, or he's escaped injuries, but illness, and just, just hasn't really been falling his way at all. But he's got five consecutive hole shots now. Did it again on the weekend. Fastest in warm-up, second in free practice, third in time practice, fastest lap time in both motos. Um, JT, how, how good was that for Jeremy C with a pretty impressive return to form? Yeah, and we've been talking about this, right? I, I knew if he just kept doing the right things, it was going to come together. Now, it made me look really smart that he went out and had a weekend like that, which I didn't expect either. But it, I'm a big believer if you keep doing the work and you keep if you keep getting the starts and you keep setting fast laps, you, like the rest of it will come together for a rider who's done it this many times as Jeremy Sewer has. It, so you just felt like it was more a matter of time and things were going sideways as more of – a matter of circumstance than the norm, right? Getting food poisoning and these things are, those things are going to smooth out over time. And yeah, this weekend was uh, the perfect storm for that, right? Jeffrey Hurlings had his issues, which we'll talk about. Roman was great, but yeah, Jeremy just put it all together. And, and in his post-race interviews, you know, he would, he, you could tell that it was happiness. Yes, but it was more relief than even happiness. And that's always telling someone's emotional. Like, are they are they super excited or are they more just taking a deep breath because it's long overdue and it was definitely flat. Uh, I expect him to be right for the rest of the season. You know, of course, will there be issues? They're always harsher. But uh, the Jeremy Sewer of old seems to be back. And uh, I think he'll be on the podium more, more times than not. Yeah, James, your thoughts on Jeremy's weekend? Pretty impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, he was he was super impressive all weekend. Um, just the speed and uh, the one thing I will say, JT, I don't know if you agree with this, but it was it was a track which was perfect for Jeremy. Whilst everybody else was kind of like not giving it a hundred percent, possibly just giving it ninety percent, just thinking about that. You know, there's always next week. That's one of those times where Jeremy's just like, "Fuck next week, I want to smash it this week." So. And, it, and he must have the biggest balls in the whole world on when it comes to MXGP riding as well, because some of the stuff he hits yeah. is just like ridiculous. So I think because of that mindset he has, I think that's what that track was perfect for him. It was the perfect place for him to take that one one. Yeah. And I think just quick, I think just being a Swiss rider, they are very good in those conditions. Same with balancing Guillaume, uh, hard pack, you know, that that specific type of track is is perfect for him, as you said. Yeah, it was pretty impressive yeah. to see how hard he goes. And and obviously, Paul Malin on the broadcast said it's 171 straight GPs. And you, you see some of the crashes he's had. 
and just how hard he pushes the limits at times. And that's that's pretty incredible feat that he's um that he's that he just escapes, especially like you look at that one in Argentina, and there's been countless ones. But um, was he pretty close to the limit, you reckon, James, or he had a bit more in the tank just watching live? Yeah, I've correct myself actually because you didn't go one one, but um, I'm already thinking of Latvia in in Germany, which is going to play into his hands as well. But um, yeah, I I got to be honest, even though he was he was literally full on like everywhere, um, he he was very much within, even though it, it was just typical Jeremy sort of you know flat out gung ho, um, he definitely was in control and he looked good. It, he didn't have any one or two squirrely moments, but I, that was the same for everybody. But yeah. I just think that, like like JT said, being from Swiss, that track just lent himself perfectly to him. Uh, again, it's going to be whether he can transfer that that form and that confidence now over to Latvia and and Tushintau, because because Latvia as well. When I spoke to a few of the riders, they all said that it's you know it's not technical. It is literally whoever can hold open that the throttle is is you know, as much as possible. So again, it lends itself to Jeremy, um, you know, very well, good sound rider as well. So, and, and Tushintau a little bit more technical, but again, so you got to believe that this could be a nice little run now for him to put three consecutive um, GPs together, getting scoring some really good points, um, high on confidence uh, before they start to take the overseas um, trip and all get the shits. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit of redemption, wasn't it, after? Because there were so many Swiss fans there being re- relatively close to the border. So they were all cheering him on. And he, he sort of got that, got to have his own sort of mini home GP because obviously his actual home GP did not go to plan, even though he, he had immense speed. And um, JT, just talk us through the hurlings drama, mate. The foot peg, the goggles, obviously came into the weekend full of confidence, um, looking like the absolute man to beat and had the special gear, the throwback gear to 2010. He, he looked the part, but... Uh, and his racing was very good um, on this first moto. Once he just got into the race and put the hammer down, obviously uncharacteristic to see Ferrato pass him in the qualifying race, but he got him back. And obviously he was having his own issues with comfort on the track. But yeah, just just take us through those sort of incidents and what your sort of yeah key thoughts from Hurlings' weekend was. Well, I think he was just kind of managing the weekend. Um, I think he was probably feeling the same things that other riders were feeling where the track would catch you out if you allowed it to. So he wasn't forcing the issue, especially Saturday. Uh, I think he was just taking what the track was giving him. And, you know, thankfully for him, he's good enough to kind of put it on cruise control and still be a top five guy. And then, yeah, Sunday things just sometimes they don't go your way. Like none of those things were his fault. You know, the, you can't really control things sometimes. And, and motorcycles are going to have malfunctions. That's what they do. Um, yeah, any sort of equipment is, is bound to fail eventually. So I think realistically, if you're him, you'd rather both of those things happen at once. If you're going to ruin, you know, if you're going to have both of those things happen throughout the season, let's just get them over with at once. Let's do it in one race. Um, so I think for him, yes, he's frustrated. I'm, I'm sure he's frustrated, but, but you can't control things that you're not able to control, right? You just have to worry about all of the things that he can do and his speed has been good and. I think everyone still knows that Jeffrey is a force that they're going to have to have, you know, they're going to have a real problem dealing with. And they just caught a little bit of a, a bit of a break. So I, I wouldn't put too much into it. If I'm him, I just try to forget about it. Don't worry about the points. They'll, they'll worry about themselves and just, yeah, show up in Latvia and try to go in the GP just like you were going to in France. Are you expecting a 1-1 in Latvia, mate, a full, full recovery just to stamp his uh, authority again? I think he wins the GP, you know, one, one, I'm sure he wants to, um, but 
I think over the course of his career, he's had so many injuries that he has learned that you don't have to go one, one to, to win GPs and be world champion. You know, there are many, many ways to do it. And he's, he's done that 102 times, right? So he's, I think he's mature enough to understand that having the most points at the end of the weekend is the goal. And uh, you, you just take what's there. And if, if you try to force the issue too many times, you end up watching the rest of the series, uh, you know, on MXGP-TV.com. So, yeah. <laughs> um, 1-1 maybe, but I, I do think he's standing on the top step when they leave. Yeah, absolutely. And just James Prado, he just obviously got the job done on the Saturday again. Um, that's five qualifying race wins and the six overall podiums now. He um, manages weekend really well. He just knows what he has to do. He keeps banking the points and just staying reliable, keeping fit, durable. Um, got a nice lead at the cha- top of the championship, roughly a moto win now. So he's just sort of keeps plugging away, doesn't he? It's a it's a weird one. I, I was just going to say on the back of the, the Hurlins one, you know, GT, you know, hit it perfectly. I think that's... We, we, we're seeing a more mature Jeffrey Hurlins where before pride might have got in the way and he would have wound the, the, the throttle back. But now he's kind of like, I'll, I'll be there next week. So I, I just think it's a testament to how far Jeffrey's come, like where he's able to put his pride to pride in, in the pain to a side and just think, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take what I'm, I'm, I've got at the moment and not push the envelope. But um, Prado's for me is just, uh, he's just handling this season really, really well because he gets the gates, as we all know. I don't think there's many people who are better than him. Um, you know, starting is just, a, you know, his instincts um, is just unbelievable. You know, Harry Everts, you know, Stefan Everts, they they both just literally shake their head when he starts because um, they just said they've never seen anything like it. The consistency, the reactive times, he's going to have that all year. And and you know that if he continues to take these starts and you know what it's like the intensity to start off with, even if he fades back to a third or a fourth, he's still gaining those points right the way through the year. So um I, I just really like what I see. He seems to be uh he seems to be quite methodical in his approach this year, rather than kind of, you know, just I don't know, like he like he has been previous years where it's just been all out again maybe it's maturity kicking in but i think i think he's a a huge not just because he's in in the you know we're leading a championship at the moment but i think he's the one to beat this year you know um he's just got that consistency he's got that ability to to start he's got ability to lead the races where everybody else is chasing um obviously that the only thing was concerning is just the way that he does seem to fade which I don't know if that is, I don't know, is is that an, is there an underlying uh, issue there? What we're not all aware of. Um, I've spoke to him about it, and he's kind of said, no, no, it's all, it's all, everything's good. I'm, I'm healthy and stuff. Um, Have you noticed him not sort of trying so hard to um, sort of block people? You know, you talk back to the two Chantal battle with Hurlings and that massive crash over the line. You don't see that sort of aggressive uh, battling just for his position as much this season. Do you think that's just to do with maturity and? how he's happy just banking these points and maybe it's a consequence of the qualifying race that he's able to, you know, have that different approach. Yeah, I think so. I think he, he's got good people around him. I think he understands what he needs to do to to win a championship. I, I just think he, he's just playing a different chess game this year. You know, he's kind of, I've tried different versions of chess, which have, have left me short and maybe I'm playing the long one here in, 
maybe I don't again like Jeffrey I don't need to win every moto but I just need to be consistent and be there but I need to finish the whole season so and and the other thing what you got with Prado is is that these qualifying races are always going to play into someone like Prado's hands and 10 points are up for grabs what 12 more GPs is 120 points uh just from qualifying races so you know he's going to be banking a lot of those points so um yeah he it's looking really good all he has to do is is carry on doing what he's doing because I think that consistency is what's going to be key this year. Yeah, and JT, just Prado, just, I think Lorenzo, I spoke to him yesterday, he said the average points hauls, it's it's over 45, between 45 and 49 or something. And yeah, it's pretty impressive just how he's doing it. And what's your take on it? Yeah, he's been great. Uh, he's putting a ton of pressure on everyone, you know, including uh, Jeffrey Hurling. So I, I still think Jeffrey ends up being your champion, but these qualifying races are really changing the math quite a bit. Um, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it would be interesting if you removed the Saturday qualifying points that have been handed out, what the championship would have looked like going into France. And I'll, I'll remove the race two issue. Like what, what would the points have been without the, uh, the Saturday qualifiers? And it wouldn't be hard to figure out, but I, I think it's such an advantage for Prado. And if he is and, and does end up being your champion this year, I think it would be impossible to not point to that as a huge contributing factor. Uh, so no excuses. Everybody has the same opportunity to get points on Saturday. It's just been, you know, Prado has been the one that's taking advantage of it and it sets up nicely for him. He's such a great starter. He's such a great sprinter. So it, it makes a lot of sense that he is, but that's the charge for everybody else is to find a way to negate Prado's advantage on Saturday. You know, he's already good enough on Sundays, but the Saturday thing is really changing the entire outlook. Yeah, obviously getting 56 points in the qualifying races, that's, that's an absolute stack. So yeah, he certainly got did pretty well. And, and Feverit, obviously, had a return to a track that he won his first GP, MXGP overall in 2015. Um, look, yeah, third podium of the year. He, it was good to see him back um, after the issue in Spain with the concussion. And, he, you know, you never know how you're going to feel like you've said after a concussion, um, even, even down the track a couple of weeks later. So... Um, he was having real issues on Saturday. He couldn't piece together a qualifying lap. Lorenzo was telling us he basically just gave up and he thought, I'll just, we'll just get through this day and we'll, we'll refresh for the Sunday. And yeah, he put, got put on a good show for the fans, didn't he? The riding was good. Um, and just in various stages of the motos, pushed and came back and just held it off. So um, yeah, pretty impressive weekend for Fever, especially after what he'd been through, wasn't it, JT? Yeah, he looked good. He looked back to form, which is uh, it's a great thing for him, obviously, but it's also great for the series. You know, he he is former world champion many times over, and to have a rider of his caliber at his best just adds it adds another dimension to it. Um, so hopefully, we will have these multi layered battles all the way you know through the series, and everybody can stay relatively healthy. Even though we did lose some people, um, having a rider of his caliber at a hundred percent. Yeah, it it just brings a lot more to it. It brings a lot more depth, and for him to win race two in front of home fans, um, yeah, it just it does a it does a lot of good for the sport in general. You give the fans what they want. Um, it creates a lot of storylines as we inch closer towards like motocross the nations and things like that. Uh, two French riders riding really well at home. Um, you know, France is such a big market for this sport, and, and I'm. I'm talking a little bit bigger picture stuff, but things like that matter, right? Engaging fans in their home market and giving them something to cheer about is good for everybody. And uh, as they say, our rising tide, you know, raises all boats. Uh, but it's it's really, really important um, for things like that to happen. And, and I think it's 
for me, it's being more involved in the television side and working with the promoter groups and these things. You hear more about that stuff. It's like how important those things are uh, because yeah, everyone left there getting exactly what they wanted. You know, there were 50,000 fans or whatever this weekend in France that all wanted to see their riders do well. And guess what? They won individual races on the day. And that just, that really, really, you know, do you think they're going to come back next time? Of course they are. They had a great time and were able to raise the French flag and sing and dance and do all those things. So um, I, I was just happy to see it on a level like that. Now flash forward to October when I'm standing there in a jacket and I have people screaming in me at French and waving a French flag in my face, I'm probably <laughs> going to feel a little bit differently, uh, but I'll, I'll let that situation handle itself. For sure. It was a good one for the French. And it's just a shame, obviously, Maxime Renault wasn't out there racing because, um, yeah, he would have really Agreed. done well on a yeah. track like that, I believe. And, yeah, the fans. Did you did you feel Beniston had more fans than Fevre? Lorenzo mentioned that uh, Beniston was getting absolutely swamped and and uh, compared to Fevre, obviously, he would have had his fair share. But your thoughts on that, James? Yeah, um, I, I was really surprised um, with with the amount of people, the amount of attention that um, Benestan had got because obviously he's not been MX, in MX2 for for that long. Obviously, he had a, a decent EMX250 um, before sort of going up, but I was really surprised about how many people, like like I said, it was five deep just to try and you know just following him as he came out of the the the, the team tent. So. Uh, yeah, it it really um it really kind of shocked me actually about with how many fr- sort of French fans he had. Um, one of the coolest things which I seen at the end at the end of the day because I interviewed both Fevre and uh, well and Benestant Fevre and um Fevre's team manager Anti. So whilst I was uh, basically uh, interviewing Anti, um Fevre, you know, obviously done the, done the, the press conferences, done everything, came back. There's literally a massive crowd probably about sort of 200 people outside the kawasaki truck uh he went in literally pulled out his um uh gear bag and he must have chucked about i don't know 10 shirts uh four pairs of pants gloves goggles everything and he was doing it for about half an hour and just I, I, you know things like that don't get talked about like, like a rider has done everything all day then all the local you know tv stuff and news channels all that sort of stuff which is outside of motocross um he's done all that then done all the the media stuff with with us and then he spends literally another half an hour of his time just like stood there taking photos uh handshakes um signing kids foreheads and god as what else but also pretty much distributing his whole gear bag so um you know th- those both of those i would say have probably got pretty much similar similar um uh you know fans but, but it's interesting that benestan is growing as quick as he is um he really has started to become a, a real french fan favorite yeah obviously fever has got that really competitive mentality and approach and do you feel that that's works really well in with anti obviously he's, he's been working under him for a few years now and they're obviously the they work well together so obviously anti's um not a man to be sort of taken lightly is obviously fever and him is a great <laughs> partnership you reckon mate yeah, I do. I think um, I, I I wouldn't surprise me if there's a you know a, a, maybe a two year contract on the table and 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 he's going to be there for a little while longer. Um, I, I do actually fully expect maybe Mitch to be on the team um next year as well. Just from the way that Anti talks about uh, both riders, he really likes it. The Japanese are very happy, um, and I think that's a, a key ingredient there. So Anti, as you know, Kimi Raikkonen owns the team, which is super cool anyway. 
Um, he wants success and he wants success. But the other thing as well is they want riders which um, they enjoy working with. And, um, you know, Antti and, and, and Fevra have got a really good uh, relationship as a, as as Mitch and um, and Antti. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see no changes under the Kawasaki awning next year. Um, I know everybody's going to be talking about Mitch Evans. Um, obviously, he's injured again and, and everything else. But from, from Mitch Evans' point of view and from Antti's point of view and the Japanese point of view, they're all really happy. They're, they know what he can do. Um and yeah, I don't see I don't think there's gonna be any changes there, but I definitely think with the amount of support, like Japanese are heavily, heavily involved. They've got no um uh, if you look at their bikes, the bikes are so clean with very limited sponsors. The Japanese are literally treating this like as HRC would with with Honda, pro- probably even more so. So that's an interesting take um for me is they're kind of using the uh the MXGP program to spearhead everything else around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And just for you, JT, obviously when Mitch was talking to James, he mentioned how he had to completely change his start technique from HRC to Kawasaki. And that's taken some time to adapt on top of the the injuries that he's uh, had in preseason, which meant he couldn't really race preseason, do anything. And then he's seven rounds behind. So obviously playing catch up and just good to see him back out there. And just thoughts on that, that, that approach with the different bikes. And also, is he the perfect teammate? For Fevra Kawasaki, he definitely seems to be a good fit so far, even though the results aren't there yet. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that. I, I would be curious to see what or ask, you know, I, sometimes they won't get into specifics, but what what the changes kind of entailed, like what was he doing on the HRC bike that wouldn't necessarily translate to the Kawasaki? Um, that's, that's interesting. There, there could be so many things. It could be rpm ranges it could be clutch engagement it could be lots of things but uh that's that's interesting to hear and you know i think it's the clutch engagement okay okay yep that would make sense um yeah every every anytime i speak to an mxgp rider about starts they always mention incremental clutch changes which are so critical of that just you know exiting that that grid start um so yeah that's that's a little bit of info there and then with, you know, working with Auntie is, um, you know, Auntie's very demanding. He is, there is no one in the paddock more all in than, than Auntie Pernan. And uh, some people respond really well to that and it focuses them and some people can't handle it. Like it's just too much pressure. It's too intense. Uh, so it's, I, I'm glad to hear that everyone's getting along because I don't, I don't think that works for everyone. You know, I, there are so many different personality types and some people respond to different types of stimulus, right? Some people need it to be really carefree and relaxed so they don't get too nervous. I I don't necessarily think that's how auntie runs things. Like it's, it's a business, it's very professional and results are expected. And there's, there's only one way to kind of go about things and it's hard work and we, you know, get the job done. Um, so yeah, I, I was curious to see how that would go, especially when, when Febra moved over to the team and then Mitch as well. Uh, but yeah, that, that makes me happy to hear that everybody's, uh, happy with where they are. Yeah. And he mentioned to James about just struggling to sort of get back to the level, the intensity, get finding the fitness and even things like the roost hitting you again. Is that something you can relate to as well when you have a long time? <laughs> yeah. Especially a track like, uh, th- this past weekend, um, you know, any track in France, you almost have to be ready for it. And I can remember before I really got to ride overseas as much as I went on to do, um, I, I practiced a lot with Sebastian Tortelli. And his track, his personal track at his house, 
had a lot of rocks on it, which was strange for Florida. There are not many tracks in Florida that you would be able to say that about, but his did. And he was so incredibly fast in these super tricky rocky sections. And I was awful at them. I just felt like I was skating all over the place. And I, I didn't feel like I had positive traction and that would immediately make me really cautious where he would just go through there. Like he was on Velcro, you know, I couldn't believe how fast and how carefree he would go through these sections. And I, I finally was like, what do you, how do you do that? Like, he's like, I just grew up in the South of France riding tracks like this every single day. Like this is, this was normal life. So if you wanted to do well racing in France, you better be really good at this particular thing. Um, so yeah, watching those guys, it, it reminded me of that this past weekend and to go along with that, forget about the lack of traction. Yeah. You're getting pelted by all these rocks all the time too. So, uh, Unadilla, uh, Broom Tioga, which is no longer on the schedule. There are a few tracks in America where you just have to put as much body armor on as you can and just expect to be sore the next day. You know, everything that wasn't covered by something plastic was probably going to be black and blue on the following day. That's just, that's just life of a professional motocross racer at a track like that. It's not very much fun, uh, but it's, you go in accepting that it's just a part of it. Yeah, there might be a few people was, pretty happy to be heading, heading to Latvia, James. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, JT, it was so funny because most of the, the riders I was sort of talking to was like, just sort of, you know, getting changed or, or whatever. And uh, the best way of describing it was purple tattoos. Um, <laughs> yep. That was basically what they had on the upper body. It was just uh, horrific. Um, one of the things I was going to speak to you about, JT, was uh, the one thing I've noticed in MXGP is the rise of X riders coming back. Um, you've got Strybos, who's now Fevra's um, full-time uh, rider coach. You've got Kenda Diker, who's looking after um, the WZ guys uh, racing team. And then you've got Steve Ramon, who's like sort of, um, uh, who's basically Yago Gertz's riding coach. There seems to be, um, obviously, Caroli's taken up, took, uh, taken up the position of team manager for KTN. There seems to be a lot of um, sort of ex riders who have not retired that long ago. Sorry. Oh, yes, Mets. Yeah. So there's, but there's a lot of recently retired riders sort of coming back. Is the same sort of thing happening in America? Yeah. yeah. And even like uh, guys like Marnik Provotes, um, those guys like that. Um, but they, I think it's really hard to put a price on experience. And the number one variable there is if the riders are willing to listen and accept input and advice from the former riders. And that's just whether they respect the opinion or not. And if you, I, I know for a fact, there's so much wisdom to be imparted in situations like that, but you just need the right recipe. You need a willingness to listen. You need the right, you know, former rider that, that truly wants to be there and, and be engaged in it. Uh, and if those things all com are combined and you have the right recipe for it, I, I really think there's a lot to add. Um, now I'm, I'm blessed to work on the television teams in America. And a part of that process is every week we have a production call, you know, pr to produce the show. And during Supercross, it's myself, James Stewart, Ricky Carmichael, Daniel Blair, uh, and then about 30 other uh, members of the television broadcast team. And a big part of that conversation is us walking through the racing dynamics. What do we think is going to happen? Why? Whatever. Well, Ricky, James, and I, and Daniel specifically will get into these long diatribes about 
racing philosophy and what we're seeing and why and all these things. And we're kind of having our own conversation, forgetting that we're supposed to be talking about the the television show, (laughs) but listening to those guys. And and I obviously try to impart my areas of expertise, but I, I try to listen more than I talk, but to hear those guys talk about the highest levels of racing and all of the mental game games that go on and the, um, philosophies and the way they viewed things then and now um, they can really diagnose these things so if you get someone really in tune and they learn a lot about individual riders because that's another part of this is everyone responds to things differently so you need to know the rider that you're working with Um, so I I'll take James for example he worked very closely with Chase Sexton uh, for I don't know six months so when he's talking about Chase Sexton on these production calls I want to hear it because he in, he knows him intimately. He knows his strengths, his weaknesses, why he does things the, the way he does them. Um, and, and I think it's a long-winded say, way of saying that this is, I think, a brilliant move by a lot of these teams is bring in people who have been there and done that. Avoid so many pitfalls, and it's only going to advance their career that much faster. Yeah, it's an excellent point. Yeah. Obviously, you see with guys who have done it at the top level, have that high-level experience. You see it in in soccer, you know, James, with the big, big teams like Real Madrid, like an Ancelotti, he's, he's done, had such a great career. And um, maybe he's not the most tactically sophisticated manager out there, but he can get his message across and motivate those big, big star players that might not listen to someone that didn't have such a great pro career and there, but they're tactically very on point, but they're not going to be able to maybe resonate their messages with people that, you know, think they're kind of above them in that way. So if you find people that, that the riders think are an idol or above their level, they'll listen to them. But it's um, it's an interesting approach, isn't it? Yeah. The the other thing, what I found quite interesting as well, sort of talking to the riders and and, and the guys as well, is that um, there's a clear split as well between the teams paying for the trainers and actual riders investing in um, paying the trainers themselves. So that that I think that says something when a rider is willing to pay the salary and the travel of an ex-GP rider to, to be with him throughout the year. So that's a huge investment. Um, speaking of huge investments, I've got a funny one for you, JT. What's um, your... Oh, no, no, it's not about my travel. This this one is is, is uh, a slap at somebody else. So um, for former former rider Mark DeRuver, who's obviously helping out the FNH. Uh, well, not helping out. He's the trainer of the uh, trainer of uh, the FNH team with Kevin Horgmo, uh, who's having a bit of a, a torrid time this year. Um he uh, was on his way to France um, doing 170 kilometers an hour. Uh, fastest man <laughs> in France, I call him, uh, when he got caught by the police. And he thought it was hilarious showing me his video of his car getting taken away along with his, um, with his license. So, um, yeah, so that, that was quite a funny thing. So um, the, the, what was funnier, though, is that he thought it was funny. So, um, yeah, yeah just that sounds, that's, that's on, very on brand for Mark DeRuver. Yeah, fastest man in France last week. Fastest man in France. Yep. So um, that I thought that one would tickle you. Yeah, there's uh, he he never lacks for entertainment or uh, entertainment value for sure. There's always something going on. He he might be the most interesting man in MXGP. Oh, hands down, hands down. We've got a, a podcast uh, sort of up and coming, which is going to be done in uh, in uh, Latvia, which I'm you know you know someone who's uh, you know as if me, some you know i have to put it in perspective i'm i'm a fan as well as is is doing this so um for me to sit down and kind of talk to him about kind of where he, what he's been doing in in you know where 
you know, it's just like a, a dream come true for me. But it's going to be really good to hear his thoughts um, about, you know, what the riders like today, trying to train and compare to, to to what he was like when he was riding. Yeah, and obviously with him, mate, are you, without his license, are you going to be having any hand in sort of helping him out with his travel arrangements or is he on board with your <laughs> schedule or... Could you imagine me sorting out Mark DeRuver's, uh, you know, trying to get to the track? I'd like, Mark, you in, in you in Latvia? No, you've booked me a, a, a plane ticket to Spain. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually happen. So, uh, I would, yeah. I would let you do many things for me, James, but coordinating my travel was never going to be on that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny enough, on Twitter, I had about three people message me and was like, seriously. Um, I'm a travel agent. Would you like me to help? It's not going to cost you. <laughs> we we will literally make our uh, make our money on booking the flights for you. But it sounds like you need some help. <laughs> I agree with them. But, yeah, that was that was a, a, a three people, genuine three people who were actually concerned about my safety of getting to GPs. Yeah, uh, that's gold, isn't it? And obviously, we're we're back to the the racing lads, and obviously Fernandez pretty quiet weekend for him just did what he had to do nice and consistent you know in the past he might have gone over the limits and um had a nasty one there but he he's certainly doing well this year you can't really sort of knock the progress and obviously he's holding a, a fair bit of burden on his shoulders with that guys are there first year in that in that hrc setup so all things pretty good for him um and also calvin Valandra just keeps keeps impressing doesn't he that stigma of a sand only guys definitely gone now and um, yeah, Lisa on the broadcast asked him about it, and he said, "Yeah, no, I like tracks like this. this is, I'm not just a sand guy." Um, and I think he's proving to everyone how good he is, and on a pretty stock bike. So, yeah, JT, just a quick thoughts on them, uh, Fernandez and Valandra, and keep keep doing pretty well, don't they? Yeah, those those guys are very impressive. Um, I, it's kind of what I expected from Fernandez. He proved himself so many times last year as as being capable of this. But I've I've been more impressed with the consistency of Valandra. Um, as you mentioned, it doesn't matter the condition, what country they're in. Uh, and also, he doesn't have the resources that many of the other guys do. But yet, there he is, putting in consistent top five finishes time and time again. So uh, he deserves a ton of credit. And I really hope that he, uh, even if he stays on the same team, I hope he can get more support or whatever, you know, whatever is going to help him continue to succeed. Because it's very, very difficult to do what he's doing. Uh, he he has certainly impressed me this year. Yeah, James, just Calvin, obviously, another guy that's doing really good advertising for Yamaha. Like Dean Ferris in Australia is just absolutely tearing it up on a on a stock 450. So, yeah, Calvin does it on all surfaces. Um, maybe a team setup like that might be perfect for him as opposed to a factory setup with with you, the way you see some things work out with, like, say, a Ben Watson. But, um, yeah, thoughts from the weekend from them, mate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one, hey, because, you know, Calvin's sit in the championship. I think there's a lot more there. He's super consistent. Uh, I can definitely see him finishing top five in a, in a championship this year. And when you think of, you've got obviously two slots at Honda, two at Kawasaki, uh, three at Yamaha. Um, you've got Triumph coming in next. Um, obviously, Beta with a two. Um, uh, who else have I missed? Uh, I think that's about it. But the problem is, is, I think Honda, they've got two-year contracts, so that's going to be a no-go there. I can see Kawasaki keeping who they're going to keep. Um, I can see Koldenhoff moving and Gertz going up to basically uh, Koldenhoff's position, which well, I, I can't see them moving from Maxime and Jeremy. Jeremy's, you know, we've heard things over the years of, you know, sort of wants to, wanting to make moves. So, so maybe Jeremy does 
go somewhere else. Obviously, you've got two at KTM, you've got two at Gas Gas. It's whether who's going to take that opportunity and take Calvin on because um, I don't know what more he has to do to prove himself to, to be you know able to get a, a you know a factory ride. Um, you know, it's 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 bonkers, but it, it, I just can't see how he could, it could go into like a third or a fourth year of of not you know, of, of not getting that support. I think it's crazy. If you finish top five in the world, surely that should warrant, um, you know, a factory ride. But it, it, it kind of shocks me that, you know, there's not, not you know, not factory teams who are like talking about him. I, I Yeah. It's, what, what do you think, JT, when a rider's, you know, as good as Calvin, but still doesn't have those factory sort of, you know, factory rumors associated to him? Well, it's tough. Um, you know, like Mitch Evans is is a little bit unique, but most teams want to bring on riders that can win MXGPs or win championships. That's that's what they're looking for. Um, you know, top tens are great, and if you are in a if you're in a supporting role, um, there there can be opportunities for that. Uh, you could you could argue that Ruben Fernandez is in that position with Tim Geiser. It's just really tough. Like there are only so many of those. Um, so I can tell you what will definitely get it done is if Calvin can go up and win a few a few individual races. Doesn't even have to be overalls, but just prove like he did at Riolo last year that he can win. Um, that will do wonders for that argument. It's just a yeah. really tough one. Uh, I, you know, I, in my own racing career, I went through. I had so many conversations with factory teams. I felt like I was doing so well. And I was like, you know, why am I not even getting a conversation here? And they're like, to be honest, we, we need guys that have the potential of winning and you, and you don't. And I'm like, I agree with you that I don't. Um, I just, it was, it was an eye opener for me. So I, as you know, Calvin was much better than I ever was, but I think it's that same conversation is I would assume they're looking at him, but if he could go out and win a few, which sounds easy, he would immediately change that, that narrative very quickly. And the, the, probably the yeah. same thing could be said for Gio. He's obviously racked up five straight top 10 overalls and got six overall on the weekend and blasted out of the gate in the qualifying race. Um, he's going really well um, on that team. And he said it's probably got, what, a fifth of the budget of a factory team. So he's happy getting better every week. Um, looking really good. Always a great rider to watch, isn't he, Gio James? And just uh, he's putting himself in the shop window too, but just finding that home might prove troublesome after hearing what JT said. It was pretty good insight there. Yeah, um, you, you could put Ferrato in there, sort of Ferrato, Vlanderen, and um, and Guilo as well. You know, they're just on that borderline of of you know, and then you've obviously you've got Jonas coming back, but Standin is a great team to 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 be around anyway. I mean, the resources that those guys have got. So so Bogers and, and, and Jonas have got some very good resources around. Now. I mean, Tim Tim will just do whatever it takes to uh, you know. I think they even bought their own bikes this year. You know, that's the kind of lengths he'll go to to make sure everybody's got what they want so um but you just gotta wonder what uh these riders you know ferrato with his being italian with italian connections you could kind of you know maybe he, he might get sort of a, a ktm factory ride or um he, that that might sort of happen you got guadagini who's obviously um a perfect kind of um number two to prado um, being young, he's still only what twenty one, I think, on a four fifty. Could still be an MX two for a couple more years, um, and we've already seen this year what he could do. He, injury was really, really, um, you know, the worst time really because is he just seemed to be getting better and better and better. But 
the problem is, I think with what Calvin and, and 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 the others have got is just these young kids which are coming through. Which I I guess what Honda seen with Ruben Fernandez is that they they're, they're grooming these guys to when Tim does decide to hang up his boots, then then Ruben will step in. Yeah, and obviously JT in America, you see Enzo Lopes doing so well. Um, obviously he's probably outdoors, not riding that so much might cause an issue. But someone like that who's clearly awesome at Supercross, clearly beats factory riders every weekend. It's just a tough spot to be in. And like you've said, you've experienced it before. So obviously teams want that sort of high end potential over consistency in the end, don't they? Yeah, they do. It's, uh, it's just challenging. Um, you know, I, I think guys used to get super frustrated in the U S at the same equation, guys like Josh Grant, who would have, you know, at the end of the season, their championship results wouldn't be that great, but they would have individual races where everyone was talking about how fast they were going or they got a podium or won a moto or whatever. And yeah, it's just that flash. That's what, that's what catches teams eye. And, and they, I think the teams always look at it and go, okay, well, if he can do it once we can coach him and how to do it repetitively and make him a championship contender. That doesn't often happen, but I, I think that's what catches them is, they get tempted by all the talent and the potential there, um, and they they continue to give them a chance. Do you feel that's the exact same case for obviously Guillaume Farias, obviously the Spanish uh, racer who showed plenty of glimpses of his talent. Obviously went to Star and and he showed instantly what he's capable of, and he's sort of going under the radar heading into this season, just doing a, lots of training and haven't spoken to guys like Styles and Levi. They say the guy's an absolute incredible talent. Some of the stuff he does on the bike, he makes them jealous. And do you think that's what Star's invested in too, gone that sort of similar mindset? Well, yeah, I, I think they're taking a bit of a flyer, right? Like they had no expectation last year going into Bud's Creek, and then he blew everyone away with his performance. Uh, and to come into a track that you've never ridden on a bike you're not really that familiar with and to perform under pressure on that stage like that, you're going to very often get yourself another opportunity at it so it'll be interesting to see how he does this weekend he's going to come in very prepared where most of these guys aren't that prepared because they've been racing and practicing supercross for eight months Uh, so yeah he's one of those guys where if he gets a whole shot and is ripping around in the top five for half of the first moto i wouldn't be surprised at all um that that bike he is on is so incredibly potent uh and Certainly, he's not scared. We we saw what he did at his first first time out last year. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. We'll have a quick AMA motocross chat in a sec um, before we sort of wrap things up. But just final thoughts on MXGP, James. Obviously, good to see Van Donick getting eighth overall. He's had chain issues. Uh, just a few things haven't gone in his favour to start the year. And um, he sort of came good on what he's capable of there. And even Tom Cock getting 11th and Bogus, even though he was sick, got 10th overall. And yeah, it's just good to see some of those guys um, having sort of three weekends, isn't it? Yeah, the the Brent Van Donick issue was a a real weird one. It was um on the the back axle. Um, basically the 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 bolt which uh, clamps it on. Um, that basically was not strong enough. So they've CNC'd their own, uh, and they've had no problem since. But it, it just from that sort of bent the axle and everything else. So um, they found out what the issue was, and I think that was uh, it's happened twice this year. So they've eliminated that issue now. So he's got no problems going forward. Um, but yeah, there's the, you know, I think we, we'll see way more from Brent throughout the year. Um, he, he, you know, he's, uh, he's doing really, really well this year, but it's just not had the luck. So, um, I think, you know, Latvia would be very good for him. Um, and obviously you, you've got Lombard coming up, so, um, he's going to be a big hitter there. 
Yeah, and then on to MX2, we've sort of already touched on it, but who who are our top contenders now, JT? Do you have Adamo, DeWolf, or Beniston? Who do you think holds the edge in that battle? You you can't knock Adamo's consistency. Beniston's had a couple of uncharacteristic rounds before this weekend, and obviously one in Switzerland too, so he's sort of got that elite level winning and then having a few off days, and then Ty DeWolf, he was the fastest in the opening moto, but was just seemed to be struggling, fighting the track, fighting himself, like, he just seems to be on the limit all the time, doesn't he? So it's going to make for a fascinating sort of showdown, even though it's just so tragic what happened to Yago, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I don't necessarily have um, a, a favorite for this, which is interesting. Um, I probably should, and uh, I, but I, I look at all of them and I, I kind of would ask them individually, like, are you going to be the one that that steps up and takes the opportunity, right? Because both of the guys that were winning races and Langenfelder and, and Geertz are hurt and the championships now been blown wide open. And I wouldn't even rule out Yago still, you know, this championship is so long. And if these guys don't step up and capitalize on him being out for a bit, because I'm hearing he's going to be back in maybe a month. Um, yep. Yeah. They, they really need to maximize these points now while he's out. Uh, but yeah, I, I truly believe it's anybody's championship. I, I don't even have a rider I would point to and say, yeah, this is his. I, I think it's wide open. James. Yeah. I, at this point, um, I think the only person that can beat Kaida Wolf is Kaida Wolf. Um, in, uh, you know, obviously he's got Ruben is his, his trainer. who's trying to keep his feet on the ground and trying to get, you know, keep him focused. Um, he's one of the most laid back riders I've, I've ever met. Literally, uh i'll be sat with him just before he's due to go out to race and he's just laughing joking you can hear the team team owner kai uh hennekins he's, he's literally shouting at him saying you're going to be late to get down to the start and he's still laughing and just having fun so the i think he just puts so much pressure on himself to to, to win um he really wants this world championship bad but I, I genuinely think the only person who can beat him is himself um but Adamo, I've been really, really impressed with. And he just reminds me of that time when Vial uh, got the chance, um, came up from EMX 250, got the chance with Red Bull. Adamo's done the same. Uh, again, his his mindset and everything else is is so on point. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Adamo, um, he's got the speed, he's got the consistency. Um, he's way better on sand than he's ever been after, after spending the winter with um, Prado. So... Um, yeah, Kaida Wolf can only get beaten by Kaida Wolf. Um, so I think it's going to be straight between those two. But again, like JT said, can't rule out um, uh, Gertz because it's just the the qualifying races and the consistency which he's got this year. And he's going to be hungry when he comes back. He wants that MX2 title before he, he goes to MXGP. Yeah, the time was now for him to win that title. And yeah, with the just... The Damo, I noticed when you spoke to him, he had that shift in mentality. Once the red plate, whereas before he was just happy to bank the podiums, bank the points, um, just keep keep consistent and, and keep it on two wheels. But now it's it's quickly shifted, uh, hasn't it? Now, so it'll certainly make for fascinating watching in Latvia, where Kai will be just he seems desperate for that first overall win, um, for sure. But yeah, it'll be a good one in a in what, eight days' time or so. But then just quickly to close it out, JT, um. Predictions for this weekend in pro motocross, mate. Um, obviously the 450 class is decimated, but you still got obviously Sexton and Lawrence and Webb, Plessinger, these kind of guys. Um, how do you see the 450 class going, and then the 250 class, which is looking stacked and where the a lot of the excitement's going to come from, isn't it? Yeah, the 450 class should be a, a battle between three people, and uh, you know I don't know where Ferran 
Landis is. I, I, he should be very prepared, but he's going to have to kind of come out and prove that. Um, he hasn't raced much over the last, I don't know, 18 months. Um, it's been more, more injury. I think he's raced 16 out of the last 46 races, uh, something like that. So he's, he's been out quite a bit. Uh, between the other two, the Honda HRC, you know, they're the superstars of this series, really. You look at Jet, he's never lost an overall at this racetrack. Uh, he's five for five, uh, which is pretty incredible. And then you look at Chase Sexton, he got his first win ever here at the end of 2021. And then he won the opener in 2022 here. And then he was incredibly fast and just wasn't able to beat Eli, ended up crashing. But his lap times were off the charts last year here at the finale. Uh, so between those two, take your pick. Um, I think Chase will likely get it done, but I don't really have any conviction of that. I, I'm just going to kind of sit back and yes, I'll be involved and I'll, I'll be trying to bring the information to you on the television, but I'm also going to be enjoying it every step of the way because these two guys are truly special talents. These aren't your everyday run of the mill guys that back their way into championships. Uh, these are the, the future of this sport, especially stateside. Yeah, 250 wise, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, it's looking to, going to look good. And I was going to ask you 250. So, yeah, keep on going. Yeah, yeah. So, 250s, you know, it's interesting to see how it plays out because Justin Cooper has sat out since February to prepare for this series. And uh, that that's a very dedicated and, and specific effort that was put in to be prepared for this series. Because he came into 2022 championship not prepared. He was coming off of a foot injury. He was on the back foot, for lack of a better term, uh, all season long. And I don't think that really sat well with him. So he's coming in over the top prepared. He's done, uh, you know, a million 30-minute motos, you know, hyperbolically. But um, I think he's going to come out swinging. He's probably going to hole shot uh, maybe both motos. And I think he will put pressure on guys like Hunter and whoever fancies themselves as champion in this class to respond early because Hunter's been worried about Supercross. He had a championship to win there. He dominated the East Coast championship this year. And he's going to be playing catch up on the preparation side to Justin Cooper. Now, if you wanted to argue that point, you could say, well, Hunter has a ton of momentum. He's got, a, a you know, so many gate drops under his belt on the 250. And it's just going to be another race weekend that he'll be rolling into with all of that momentum. So take your pick on which narrative you want. Uh, but I, I think we have several guys that are going to be aiming for that that side. Joe Shimoda is incredible here. He he won the, the final moto of the year here by 30 seconds at Fox Raceway. So think about that. 30 seconds he put into the likes of Jet and Hunter and these guys at this racetrack last year. So you know he's going to come in with a boatload of confidence too. There's rookie guys like Hayden Deegan that are the talk of the industry. Um, so, yeah, if, if you're looking for a, a, a class with a million storylines and, and you can look at 10 different riders and, and make a case for how they're going to get it done, the 250 class in America is where you want to be. Absolutely. And just your take on VR quickly, obviously, with the MXG connect, MXGP connection should be pretty good, do you think? He should be great. The, the one thing that he will struggle with, and it won't be this weekend, uh, will be learning new tracks. And this weekend, he should be fine. He's gotten to ride it during the week. He'll, he will be riding. He's actually riding it as we speak right this very second as we're recording this. Uh, so he feel, he should feel comfortable. There won't be this learning process that he has to go through on Saturday. Because for those of you who may be you know, on another continent, 
the American pro motocross system, you don't get much track time. Uh, you basically get about 30 minutes of total track time before it's time to race for championship points. That's not a lot. If you've never been to this particular venue before and you have to figure it out quickly, sort your bike out, put a lap time in and then get ready to go try to win, you know, the overall on Saturday. So it's, it's a really difficult dynamic, uh, to, to waltz into. And I, I really think that's the main challenge. The rest of it, uh, speed, you know, he's still on a KTM, you know, we did switch to the grid or great, however you want to pronounce it, the start. So that would be consistent for him. That would, that I'm sure that's a, a comfort where he doesn't have to switch back to dirt and have that variable thrown in there. Uh, one other thing too, is, you know, he will be switching or has been all season, but he'll be using Dunlops versus Pirelli's. Um, so I don't know how the scoop tire factors in there. If that's anything that he's had to get used to, does that change his starting technique at all? Uh, but that's something I'll be watching for on Saturday afternoon is does he use that Dunlop scoop tire? Because that was his go-to almost all the time on the Pirelli. So uh, there are little things in there, but I, I expect a lot. I, I don't think any of the, the learning curves and the, the little bit of hesitation that I noticed in Supercross, all that should be wiped away and he should feel much more comfortable as we roll into the outdoors. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely exciting, mate. And you'll be there on site uh, covering it all. We'll all be watching with, uh, with great gusto, that's for sure, mate. And just James, uh, what's it looking like for the rest of the week for you, mate? Excited for pro motocross and everything's going pretty well at MX Vice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, everything's good. Um, I'm actually looking for, you know, as as uh, Jason speaking, um, I, I'm getting even more excited now because honestly, 250 is just where it's at. I'm, I'm intrigued to see uh, the battle between the two Honda guys in 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 450s, but yeah, the MX2 in in um, the uh, in, sorry 250s in. Uh, I, I really want to see where VL stacks up because um, obviously he's still you know, relatively healthy um, and come through um, the Supercross season. Okay. But then um, I'm, I'm really, you know, again, like JT's just saying, like Justin Cooper, like I can't wait to see, see him return. So it's, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm just pretty much going to get a beer and sit down and watch promo across promo across Saturday. That's what I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to just drink beer and, and watch motocross. It's going to be awesome. I love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely and no traveling involved it's even better <laughs> <laughs> just fridge to the couch mate yeah that's, that's the distance i need to be covering all right well thanks guys for joining us before i let you go I'll just um give a quick shout out to the sponsors in fly racing monster energy fox racing parts europe scott bell helmets acherbys asv performance kawasaki uk ktm uk and obviously even strokes for all their incredible support as without them there is no us so thanks again lads it's been a cracking chat and um enjoy your weekend guys thanks john